Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. These, these last few months, it's just incredible what the Lord is doing every time we gather. Um, I was going to give you guys a handout, but I recognize every time I do that, the Lord hijacks the service, so <laughs> maybe we should always have it then. <laughs> no, it's, um, I, I feel the Lord so strongly right now. And um, yeah, I'll move some things around so we can just jump right into this, but I, I want to give time for for ministry at the end and to, and to pray at the end for those who'd like to, uh, to stay and receive prayer. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of things I know the Lord's doing right now, but, but one of the things that's, that's on my heart for this morning, it's connected with where we've been, and I feel like he's already, he's doing it. Something happens as we grow in the knowledge of who God is, uh, and one of the, one of the things is, is courage. There, there, there's a courage that takes place in our hearts. There's a boldness when we understand who it is that, that we belong to. <laughs> who it is that lives in us and who we are to him. And I feel the Lord is, is going to do that. I feel he's going to really release courage today. And if you haven't been with us the last few weeks, uh, what we've been talking about is, is the fear of the Lord. And last week, God just, just completely kind of moved the whole service, but somehow it, I feel like it got back into that. Uh, the fear of the Lord crushing the fear of man. And, uh, and I, I want to stay right there. And, and we've hit so much, but all I'll say is this so that we can move forward this morning is that we've really been laboring to show that there's two types of fears. There's the ungodly fear, uh, fear that's produced by sin, and then there's the holy godly fear. It is the, uh, it is the, the, the holy fascination. It's the delightful tremble. It's the jealous love that, that we as Christians are called to have. Uh, the gospel sets us free from fear. The scriptures talk about not being afraid, and yet at the same time, the gospel invites us into a fear. It is the glory fear. It is the fear of God. And, um, and I, I want to share a scripture really quick just to get us started in Isaiah 33, and then we'll break this thing wide open. If you guys could turn there, Isaiah 33. Hopefully you have some Bible with you or your phone or can look on. Oh, thank you. Isaiah 33. By the way, you guys are, are the brave ones coming out here with the snow going and the, and the holidays. <laughs> you guys encourage me. I, I love it. We've literally just placed a tent and the hungry just come in for the Lord and I love it. So good. But Isaiah 33, this is, I feel like, a great summary statement for where we've been over the last uh, few weeks. I don't know how much longer we'll stay, but, but obviously today and maybe another week. Uh, this really, I feel like, is a great just um, synopsis of what, what we've been discovering, which is the beauty of the fear of the Lord. And, and I want to read this one verse, actually it's two verses, Isaiah 33, verse 5 and 6. And it, here's what it says. Again, Isaiah 33, I'm starting in verse 5. It says, The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high, and he will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. And verse 6, And he will be the stability of your times, abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. For the fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. For the fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. 
Now, Zion is a name that's used synonymously with the people of Israel because Zion was a literal place in Jerusalem. It was so blessed that Israel was often just referred to as Zion. In the New Covenant, the church is the spiritual Zion. Hebrews talks about this. So this is a promise that we've been grafted into. And what we've been discovering over the last few weeks, and we'll see today and however many weeks the Lord has us in this, is that the fear of the Lord is a treasure. It is a treasure. And I so deeply feel that this, once again, just breaks the mindsets that the fear of God is something that we are to be hesitant uh, to, towards. In other words, we should have reservation from fully uh, embracing it and, and walking in it. That the fear of God is something to, to dread. Uh, most of the time it's presented as, we know it's beneficial, but man, is it miserable. <laughs> no, 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 no. Jesus, Isaiah 11, the prophesied that he would walk in the spirit of the fear of the Lord and he would delight in the fear of the Lord. And here, once again, the scriptures say that the fear of the Lord is a treasure, guys. It is a treasure. Now, there's so much that pops off from that word, but a treasure means something of extreme value. God is saying, I've got something greater than silver or gold. Your life, your life will forever change if you learn to walk in this reality, the fear of God, that holy fascination, that that jealous love, you so treasure him and the covenant you have that you would fear your life ever coming out of alignment with what he's asked you to do. There is a treasure here. But the second thing, and here's what I feel like we've really been doing, is a treasure because it's so valuable, you typically don't leave it in a common place. Typically you hide a treasure, not so that it can't be found, but that, so that it's not tainted. There's something about preserving and protecting it. And so the fear of the Lord is, is, is a treasure, meaning it's hidden in the scriptures. It's there, but you got to go seek after it. And I feel what we've been doing is the, the, the Holy Spirit's been inviting us on one of the greatest treasure hunts. And through diligently searching the scriptures, which is what Jesus invites us to do, we've been actually coming to the, to the awareness that the fear of God is not something to, to put up a wall against, but it's actually something to fully embrace. That it's so, so beautiful. The fear of the Lord, it's like a treasure box that God has given us. And every single week, what we've been doing is pulling out these precious stones, which is the impacts and the fruit and the blessing of when you walk in this. And we've been gazing upon this beautiful treasure that God has given us. And today, we're going to look at another stone. <laughs> today, we're going to pull out another stone from this treasure called the fear of God. And what I want to do is I want to put before you that the fear of God is the antidote. It's the remedy. It's the solution. It's the prescription to every other fear, anxiety, and worry in your life. The scriptures make this really clear, that the way that you become bold is actually not becoming fearless, but by fearing the right thing. It's not about removing all fear, it's about fearing God. Something happens when you get plugged into the fear of God that all other lesser fears, anxieties, and worries begin to be washed away by this fear. And so if I could put it this way, I believe the Lord wants us to fight fear with fear. And this is so important for where we're at as a nation and what's happening. And God, we are in desperate need of a bold and courageous people. And I said it before, I believe there are many ways that God can establish us in courage. But I believe the Lord wants to dispense and grace us and bestow a unique measure of courage this morning. Now, that can happen just through the releasing of the word. It can happen when we lay hands on the end, at the end, or it can happen in both. But here's what I know is I know the Lord said, I will, for hearts that are open to this, I will release courage in your heart today. 
Now there's many ways that that can happen, but one of the ways that the Lord will do this is actually by being established in the fear of God, we're going to see. And all of the other fears, which we'll see in Isaiah 8, the Lord, the Lord says, do not fear what they fear. <laughs> we need to hear that word, do not fear. The Lord says, I want you to fear me. All, guys, all fear, all fear outside of the fear of the Lord, you know what it does? It drains you and saps you of your strength. All fear will actually take strength away from you. All fear will cause you to exhaust your emotional resources, mental resources, physical resources. If you've ever been there with anxiety, worry, and fear, it will literally drain you to the point that you have no strength left. But there is one fear that imparts strength. It is the fear of God. Proverbs 14.26 says, Those who fear in the Lord find a strong confidence. Or as other translations say, they find strength. Something happens when our eyes, the eyes of our heart that we've been singing and speaking about today, get opened up to really catch a glimpse of who he is. His vastness, his power, his transcendence, his sovereignty, his justice, his holiness, his goodness. Like when our hearts get opened up, something happens where that knowledge creates a healthy fear that actually secures us. It stabilizes us. It establishes us. It, it puts something in our spirit that's a resolve and steadfastness that even though everything can be shaken around us, we are so aware of who he is and that we belong to him that nothing can move us ever again. This is how the fear of God, one of the ways it begins to quench every other fear. So I, honestly, however the Lord wants to do it, but I know that there is courage that's going to be released today. So what we're going to do is I'm just going to kind of unpack a little bit on the um, uh, on fear of God quenching other fears and then there's one story in particular in 1 Samuel about Jonathan and his armor bearer who stepped out in courage and an entire generation shifted because of one person who would not shrink back and hide in the caves like everyone else, even though everyone else was plagued by fear. He stepped out and it started awakening all other people to get on the front lines as well. So just stay with me because I actually feel like that's where the most life is, and, but we need everything else and then we're going to pray and lay hands, okay? So turn with me to Isaiah 8 if you would. We're going to see another precious stone of the treasure, fear of God. Isaiah chapter 8. I'm going to get in here in just, just a moment. One of, the, one of the reasons why I think this is so important, and I want you to just hear me like as, as the shepherd, uh, we have so many key leaders, um, but the Lord has asked me to shepherd this house and I think we can all agree and we'll look at and talk about some of these things that's happening at, on, a, on a national level. But even in this house right now, I, feel the, I really feel that there's a tactic of the enemy to, to put fear in hearts of people. And here's, here's one of the ways God gives us uh, a way to fight back. Now in Luke chapter 21, I just want you to hear this. This is going to lead into where we're going. Luke chapter 21, it's in, the entirety of that chapter is, is based and rooted in a single question that the disciples asked Jesus. And the question that they asked Jesus is, what will be the signs of your return? You see this in Matthew 24, a few of the Gospels, Mark also has this as well. And so Jesus begins to list off different things that will actually happen on the earth. And he talks about some pretty serious shakings. He talks about uh, earthquakes, natural disasters, famines pestilence, which is viruses. Uh, he talks about um, 
wars and rumors of wars and all of these things. But he says that these things will actually be part of the generation of the disciples uh, and we'll actually see them grow and increase until his return. So they've actually marked, these things have marked the entirety of the church age. They're not anything new. Like what we're experiencing, these things have always happened. It's new for us, but these things have always been happening. And Jesus equates it to a woman in childbirth. Now I want you to think about that because what that means is that as we draw nearer to the new heaven, new earth, meaning as we draw near to what's being birthed, we should not be surprised by the entirety of the earth going into contractions. And that's what we see every time we see shakings, it's actually a contraction. And as you draw nearer to the new life that's coming forth, what do we know about in the natural with pregnancy? Contractions, they get less and less time in between and they get more and more intense. But what that also means is that the new life is about to come forth. So there's glory and crisis that goes hand in hand as you see these contractions. As Christians, there's actually hope knowing that through this, it's like the whole earth is travailing, giving birth to something. Every time we see a contraction, it's like, oh, I can see the head now. <laughs> the, 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 it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. The new heaven, new earth, the Redeemer, he's coming. So we are not caught off guard by these things. But Jesus, that's a whole other discussion, but Jesus says something fascinating, that when these contractions, which we just went through one, Guys, that was a contraction. <laughs> All that's gone on in this earth. When you see these things, if, what will happen is those who are not plugged into the Lord, he says in Luke 21 verse 16 that men's hearts will faint with fear. And this has been the issue more than any pandemic or anything else. The issue is that actually it's been a year or a few years of fear. Fear has gripped the hearts of individuals. How many, how many of you guys have ever heard of the Nuremberg Trials? Okay, so I, I personally, I like to uh, read about World War II, and the Nuremberg Trials were, uh, was uh, trials that took place right after World War II in Nuremberg, Germany. It's where we tried to hold accountable certain um, German Nazi officials and military leaders who committed such atrocities. And what's really interesting is that when one of the German, the Nazi officials, was on trial and he was being questioned, and I'm, I'm overly generalizing this, but here's pretty much what happened. Um, those that were prosecuting said, we want to know, how are you guys able to be so successful in pulling off what you did? In other words, how, how did you get an entire nation to basically buy into what you guys were doing, or at the very least, turn a blind eye? Now, to be clear, there were many faithful people in Germany, Diedrich Bonhoeffers and many others. But in large, many bought in, and they asked him, how could you guys do this? And his response was amazing. He says at the upper level of leadership, I'm talking like at the very top when you get the Hitlers and Hess and those guys, he said it is not about how, how alluring Nazism was. He said it had all to do with fear. And we knew that if we could create fear in the hearts of people, especially towards the Jews, we can control them. He says this was our method was to instill fear in the hearts of the people. And I want you to know that this is how the kingdom of darkness works. The kingdom of darkness seeks and works in fear. And it wants to instill fear for the fact that once that happens, it, it, it can control. Listen, the kingdom of darkness, once fear touches our hearts, it cripples us. It, it robs people of their identity. It robs people of their purpose. It gets people to actually like, come back to a place that they were not created to, to, to be in and not live with boldness and courage. And I believe there is such a testimony right now. There is such an opportunity for a courageous, bold people to step forth when all around us men's hearts are fainting with fear, that they would see a picture in the church of one coming forth that is not shaken by what they are shaken by.
The Bible says that as the church, we are called to be light, salt, and leaven. All of three of these things are meant to impact and influence their surroundings. Now, if you think about, especially if you think about uh, salt and leaven, these two things are only effective when they're worked into something. Salt and leaven is purposeless when it's by itself. <laughs> it's only effective when you take it, work it into something, and it begins to infiltrate and penetrate every aspect of what it was worked into. So when the Bible calls us to be salt, light, and leaven, God is calling us to be worked into society. And right now, there's a lot of places you can go with that, but right now, the Lord is looking to work in a courageous people into this earth. God is not calling us to distance ourselves from this earth. <laughs> but, but God wants people... Can, can you mind praying with her if you take her out? Yeah, I know she's going through a lot. It's okay. It's all right. It's okay. It's okay. Bless her, Lord. Jesus, have your way in her life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And so the Lord wants to work us into this into this earth, a courageous people, guys. We need, we need bold, faith-filled people in the political circle, in education. We need them in entertainment in every single place. And one of the ways that God, again, puts the, a boldness in our hearts is through the right fear, the fear of the Lord. So look at, let's look at Isaiah chapter 8. And I want to just read two verses, verse 12 and 13. Verse 12 and 13. Now this is the Lord personally advising Isaiah because there's an Assyrian evasion that's coming. And they're fearing that Jerusalem will be taken as well. Now I feel like these words are so important for today. Chapter 8 verse 12 says, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear nor be in dread. Guys, that's a powerful statement. The Lord commands that. It's not a suggestion. It's not if you want to try this. The Lord says, he commands and says, don't you dare fear what everyone else is fearing. Don't you dare dread what everyone else is dreading. You say, but how do we come out? Because listen, I, I get it. I've, there is like worry and stuff that's gotten on the inside of my heart. How do you overcome that? Do you just try harder? What, like what is the solution? And look what the next verse is in verse 13. It says, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear let him be your dread, and he will become a sanctuary. How do you get delivered from all other fears, worry, and anxiety? The Lord says, learn to make me your fear <laughs> in the glorious way. Learn to be fascinated. Learn to make me your treasure. Learn to tremble with all before me. And when that happens, all these other fears will be so small in comparison, they won't be able to touch you anymore. It's not by us trying harder, but it's actually by growing in the fear of God. This is why right now in this hour, I believe we need, we need to grow and walk in the fear of God. If not, we'll come under the wrong fears. And the Lord says, do not do that. Do not buy. He, well, you know what he's saying? Do not buy everything that the world is selling. <laughs> and listen, the opposite of this is not being rude and brash. It's nothing like that. It's nothing like that at all because that's where the other extreme is and it's not that. Jesus was bold but compassionate. But what we need to know is that the Lord commands us to do this. Listen, he, he's, he's, he's saying do not buy into everything that you're hearing. Do not fear what they fear. In today's culture, 
Guys, we are, I, I, I think we can all agree that, that we are, there as a whole, like not, not, not in the church per se, but we're drowning in fear. We live in such an anxious and worry society. From Twitter to television, everywhere you turn, there is nothing but fear rhetoric that is pushed forth. And let me be clear, this is not some political thing. This is on both sides of the aisle. The moment you come out of the kingdom of God, even if you're pushing a right cause, your primary motivation will be to get people to move by fear. That is not the way the kingdom of God works. And so there's all of this, there's all of this fear that gets pushed forward, hoping that you would cling to what they're saying and buy into the panic. This is not the way that we operate, though. So everywhere you go, there's, there's fear of, and it's not even that they're not genuine concerns, but there's a panic. There's a panic that, that the enemy, I believe, wants to have in our hearts that we start responding to the enemy rather than living in response to the Father's voice. Like, I get he's doing stuff, but the Father wants us to be steadfast and firm responding to his voice. There, but, but, I mean, there's fear of global terrorism. There's fear of extreme weather, pandemics, political turmoil. Consider parenting today. <laughs> Like, there, there's a fear to let your kid go out of your sight in the front yard that they'll be snatched away. Now, I'm not that old, but I grew up where the only rule we had is just be back by dinner time, but we would bounce around from house to house in the backyard. But today, you can't do that. There's so much fear. We have safe rooms in colleges because the youth do not know how to handle opposing views. It gives, it gives anxiety attacks and panic attacks. Forget about the sobering trends of prescription youth that were using uh, prescription drugs to try to anesthetize and numb the pain of all the worry and anxiety that we have. That doesn't even scratch the surface. Our culture is riddled with fear, anxiety, and worry. And the question is, why? <laughs> why? And I want you to see something deeper than just coming back to the fear of God. That's the answer. But listen, Jesus gives a very important statement that I believe hits the key as to what the fear of God does. When the disciples were on the boat with Jesus, if you remember this, we shared a few weeks ago, uh, there was a storm, Jesus is sleeping, disciples are convinced they're going to die, and they wake him up and say, Master, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? He rebukes the storm, and then he says something so important, guys. He says, why are you so afraid? Why are you filled with fear? But it's the next part that's the key. He says, oh, you of little faith. And what Jesus just did is he connects unbelief with fear. And what we're experiencing in a very just big general way is we have a culture that by and large has turned from the Lord, has turned from trusting in God to trusting in self, self-confidence, our own knowledge or ability. But deep down, we know we actually can't hold this whole thing together and so the byproduct of a nation that is turning from faith in God to faith in self is that we are being overwhelmed with every fear that is imaginable because we have lost sight of the one who holds all things together. We've lost sight of the one who holds your life together. And what we thought would actually liberate us by saying we don't want... Psalm 2 says, let us break off the shackles of the Lord's anointed. We thought we were bound by the word of the Lord and his ways, but actually what we're finding is by turning from him, we are bound by every lesser fear now. We are bound by worry and anxiety now. There, there's an amazing quote by a man by the name of Dr. Michael Reeves who speaks into this, and he says, anxiety grows best in the soil of unbelief. So anxiety, fear, worry, it grows best in the soil of unbelief. But listen to what he says. But it withers in contact with faith. So what, what withers unbelief? Faith. 
But anxiety grows in unbelief, but when faith hits that, all of your worry anxiety begins to be withered up. And then he says this, and faith is fertilized by the fear of God. Something about growing in the right knowledge of God actually releases a substance of faith in your heart to believe that he is good, he is able to hold you, keep you, and see you through. Exodus 14, just listen to this. When the, when the Israelites came out of the parting of the Red Sea, there was a summary statement that they gave before they go into the wilderness. And this is what it says, Exodus 14, verse 31. It says, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. Now just think about this, great power. The, the mightiest uh, military of the day was wiped out by this water. <laughs> the Israelites didn't even have to fight. They literally just had to stand and believe, and they watched the water swallow up the mightiest empire. So again, it says Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. And listen to the, re the result of it. So the people feared the Lord... And they believed in the Lord and put their trust in the, in the Lord's servant, Moses. When they saw God's great power, it produced a fear of God, which then ultimately produced a faith in God. And what we need right now is the fear of God restored in this nation. When the fear of God is restored, you're going to watch a nation that is crippled by fear, anxiety, and worry about every little thing get restored back to a place of stability and security once again. Listen, I'm all for borders and all those other things, but you know what stabilizes a nation? When they understand that no matter what is taken, God sits on the throne. And there's a healthy fear that he is on the throne. There was a, a well-known um, atheist by the name of Bertrand Russell, who in 1927, he issued this really famous address. It was called, Why I'm Not a Christian. And it's really a fascinating read in many ways. Sad, but fascinating to read it just to see what... His, uh, his message was, ultimately, though, he presents a thesis. This is 1927. He says, I propose to you, and again, I'm generalizing my own words, but I propose to you that the issue with our society and the reason why we've yet to reach heights of prosperity and flourishing is because we've created this silly notion that there's a God who knows all, sees all, and is all-powerful. And he says, and I propose to you that if we can remove this, this fanciful belief that there's a God, that we will step into places of prosperity and flourishing that we've never seen before as a society because we will lose unnecessary fears that we've created by believing that there's a God who knows all, sees all, and is all-powerful. Now, to be clear, he had such a distorted view of who God was. There was some truth in there, but here's the thing. We are living proof today of how false that, that proposal was. For we have sought to remove God, not that we can remove him, but to turn in the education, in political, in every sphere of society, we've sought to turn from the Lord, and the byproduct has not been being liberated from fears. We're actually more bound by fear than ever before. We're actually more bound by anxiety and worry than ever before. And it's the fear of God. It is the fear of the Lord that sets things straight. Look at Psalm 112. One other scripture, and then I want to get us into the last part. If you would turn there, Psalm 112. I just, there's so many other places to go. I just want you to see this continual pattern of, of getting set free from the wrong fear by the fear of God. Psalm 112. Everyone there? This is what it says. Psalm 112 says, Praise the Lord. Listen, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. 
So blessed, meaning joyful or happy, is the man who fears the Lord. Blessed. There is a blessing that God puts upon this earth in a very general way. His goodness is extended towards the earth. The, the sun rises on the righteous and wicked. There's goodness that all of us experience regardless if we know God or not. This is speaking about a very intentional, specific, and abundant blessing that God pours out on one's life who walks in the fear of the Lord. This is something very unique that God puts upon an individual. And the, the rest of this chapter is actually God listing out through the psalmist a catalog of blessings that flow because one walks in the fear of the Lord. And I'm not even getting to all of it, but he goes on in verse 2 about how your offspring will be blessed. You'll leave an inheritance. How many want to leave an inheritance for your kids? <laughs> there is something of far more value than just finances. That is a beautiful thing. But the Bible says you want to leave something for your kids that is a blessing. Learn to walk in the fear of God. There is a blessing that will drip off your life that will touch generations. It goes on and on. But look at verse 7 and 8. Here's one of the blessings of one who fears God. We need this in this hour. Verse 7 says, he, who's he? The man who, or the woman who fears the Lord is not afraid of bad news. <laughs> My goodness, the fear of God quenches the fear of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Verse 8, his heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. <laughs> Notice the emphasis on the heart. When you have the fear of the Lord, you don't just have an outward appearance. Something gets on the inside of you. There is a substance that touches your life that no matter what news you receive on the outside, you cannot be shaken by it, guys. This is what the Word of the Lord says. You can't be shaken by it. You're not moved by it. How many want a steady internal life? I, I know I do. Like I'm, my problem is I'm really high sometimes and really low. You want a steady inner life, emotional life? Get the fear of God in you, the beautiful fear that we've been laboring over the last few weeks, not that demonic crippling fear that we run from God, but the fear that actually enlarges your heart towards God because you love him so much. You say, you know, how does this happen? Here's, the image, here's an image that I have. Um, Exodus chapter 7, Moses and Aaron are sent before Pharaoh, and they're given the, the, the instructions, the famous instructions, let my people go. Well, one of the things that God tells Aaron to do, he says, Pharaoh's not going to believe you, but I want you to take your staff and I want you to throw it on the ground. And when you throw it on the ground, it's going to turn into a serpent and it'll be a sign that I'm with you. Well, Aaron does this very thing, but Pharaoh calls out all of his magicians and sorcerers and they actually imitate and copy the very same thing. Because there is power in the kingdom of darkness. Now, it's nothing compared to God. It's just quenched up in a moment. But to know that these things can happen, so they imitate it. But it makes this amazing statement. I think it's verse 13. It says, Aaron's staff swallows up all of the other staffs. <laughs> and what happens when you grow in the fear of God is as the fear of God grows, it begins to outgrow, eclipse, consume, and destroy every other rival fear until there is nothing left. <laughs> every worry and anxiety gets gets. It shrivels up before the Lord. But listen, the fear of God, why does it quench other fears? It's not just because God is bigger than the things that you fear. That is true. But it's also because he's more beautiful and he's more fascinating and he's more captivating. For David said in Psalm 27, David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He's not just bigger. He's better in every way. He's so beautiful. In fact, a few verses later, as 
David is being surrounded by a real army. He's being threatened to let what's going on around him get on the inside and produce fear. And David says, I will not. And here's the way David was strengthened. He says, one thing I long for, one thing I ask, that all the days of my life I may dwell in the house of the Lord and behold the beauty of God. There's something about the beauty of God that kills the beast of anxiety. There's something about seeing his goodness that just begins to silence that, that voice of worry that wants to get you to constantly focus on that. Matthew 6, this is Matthew 6 principle. Jesus says, why are you worrying? Why are you filled with worry, anxiety, and fear about what you're going to eat or drink? Oh, you of little faith. And then he calls their attention to see the kingdom of God. Listen, Jesus was not pulling a fast one. He wasn't trying to distract them from their worry temporarily. Like um, when my wife leaves the front door and Phoebe, my youngest, goes nuts and screams and cries. So sometimes what we'll do is she'll say, I got to leave. Can you distract her for a moment? <laughs> and I'll be sitting there playing toys or doing something so she can't see. Jesus wasn't trying to distract his disciples. Say, look over here, look over here. Don't look at your worry. No, no, no. He's, he's reorienting their perspective to say, look at your father. Look at the kingdom of God. Why are you filled with worry and anxiety right now? Are you not more valuable than the birds of the air and the lilies of the field? Because our fear becomes a blinding, disorienting fog where all we can see is that fear. Have you been there? You can't see. So what you have to do is it's not about you kicking through the fear. It's to lift your eyes up to him. And you get set free from that. Man, I have some more things. Are you guys, you guys with me? All right. I want to share one other thing on this. And then I want you to actually see it. I wasn't sure I was going to share it. Song of Solomon, chapter 6. And I promise we'll close out with 1 Samuel 14. Song of Solomon, chapter 6. I feel like I always need to give this, um, like, asterisk when we get in. Most of you, I know, know this book by now because we, we've preached through it and we teach on it a lot. But it's a, it's a real love story of a husband and wife, but its ultimate fulfillment is in Christ and the church, right? We all know that. Ephesians 5, Jesus is the ultimate bridegroom, and we are the true bride. So I love to approach this book from that revelation because all scripture, it's about Jesus. And so there is a, a verse, Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 10. Guys, I want you to see this. We just got done talking about David beholding the beauty of God and that stabilizing him, right? That, that, that actually quenches all the fears. And here's this one verse. This is a description about the bride, the church. This is a description of you guys. It says, Who is this who looks down like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, and awesome as an army with banners? Now, if you were with us for the first few weeks, I talked about the word awesome in the Hebrew. It speaks of how God is awesome in his sanctuary. It is the same word that's used often to describe one that, uh, the word fearful. This is what it means when you are fearfully, wonderfully made. It doesn't mean that you're made as a coward. It means that you are awesomely, wonderfully made. So what this is saying, the bride in chapter 1 started off as a shy, timid girl. She, she was afraid. She had a spirit of fear, but over time, being connected to the bridegroom, the wonderful one, the fearfully wonderful one, what's happened is she's begun to now radiate and look like him. And it says that this bride now is awesome, fearfully wonderful, as an army with banners. Can you picture that scene? Can you picture an army going out to war and banners up? Do you understand how powerful that looks? And this is saying this bride is so lovely, but oh, she is so powerful. 
She, 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 there's, there's, a, there's a fearfulness about her, a fearlessness, I, I mean, about her that is so amazing. And, the, and the, the key here is it says that she is, look at what it says, she is beautiful as the moon and bright as the sun. Why is she as beautiful as the moon? Because a moon shines in darkness, which means this bride is so beautiful because in the midst of darkness, she is shining bright. <laughs> There is literally, she has, from beholding the one that she's looked upon, she now looks like him. The holiness of God, the beauty of God, the goodness of God, the justice of God is coming forth. And there's a radiance that actually causes people to tremble at the Lord that is in her now. It says she is as beautiful as the moon, but as bright as the sun. That's so important because the moon actually has no light in and of itself. The only thing you see when a moon's shining bright is that it's in direct alignment with the sun. This is why we preach diligently on beholding the Lord daily. Because as you set your focus before God, guess what begins to happen? <laughs> you begin to reflect the light of the one that you're beholding. And so as we continually set our gaze on the fearfully wonderful one, that's what you're beginning to look like more and more. <laughs> and we need that so desperately in this hour. Yes? All right, last, last portion of Scripture, 1 Samuel 14. And then we're going to pray here. Many other places we can go to, but I share all of that just so that you know the Scriptures make clear we continually fight the wrong fear with the fear of the Lord. Fighting fear with fear. But it was all into this one thing, that we need to see a courageous people arise in this hour. And I want to share, I'm not going to share all of this. Primarily, I want to actually come at the end of chapter 14 of 1 Samuel. I'll share just a few verses in the beginning to give you context. But this is an amazing story of how one display of courage will literally change and liberate a people bound in fear. And what you have happening here is Israel is in military conflict with the Philistines. And they're actually now currently hiding in caves because victory seems impossible in all measures. They are greatly outnumbered and greatly surpassed in military technology. There, on a natural level, there seems no chance of victory. And so Saul, the current king, and 600 men, that's what they're dwindled down to. Most of them have actually left to join the enemy's side. Oh, this gets so good. <laughs> Many have left the side of Israel and joined the enemy side because they thought there's no way of winning. And they're down to 600 men hiding in the cave, but Jonathan and his armor bearer are going to step out in courage and it's going to awaken something in all of his fellow Israelites. So let's look at verse 1. I'm just going to give, read a few verses to give you context. It says, One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, that's his armor bearer, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. All right, now this says one day. Why I love this is because Israel is, the trajectory of Israel is about to change forever. But it was not any special day. <laughs> this was one ordinary day. Guys, within every single day, God has opportunities built in for us to step out in courage to have profound impact. It doesn't always have to be these massive things. It's loving your enemy. It's serving the lost. It's coming alongside the broken. It's praying for the sick. It's, it's preaching the good news to someone. Every day when we step out in courage, we have no idea how that could be a day that shifts so much of, of what's going on in people's lives around you. 
Now he says nothing to his father or to the men, which tells me he's not seeking after his own glory. No one knows about this, but he's after the glory of God. There's a jealousy for God here. Now look at verse 2. I want you to just see the contrast between Jonathan and the current king, Saul. It says, Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah. Look where he was, in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. (laughs) So Saul and the army of 600 are hiding in caves right now. I want you to see this is a generation that is bound by fear. You guys with me? Bound by fear. The king, listen, don't let your fiery heart be put out because someone who should be doing something is not. Saul should have been the one leading, but if he was not, Jonathan says, then I will go. And in the end, Saul will be the one coming after Jonathan. Saul will actually follow in Jonathan's footsteps. And so the next few verses, you begin to see Jonathan's plan. Look at verse 6. It says, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. I love this. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. (laughs) In other words, Jonathan says, the Lord can do his work whether or not he has a whole army or just me and you. (laughs) You and God equals a majority. (laughs) Because God is greater than anything or anyone in this world. And Jonathan recognizes, he says, if all we got is me and you, and that's all that's going to step out, then whatever, let's go for it. And Jonathan's ultimately going to lay out a fleece before the Lord, and he's going to go with just his armor bearer into the enemy's camp. And he says, here's what we're going to do. If they call us to stay there, if they say, stay where you are, we know we're not supposed to fight. But if they call us to come into their camp and fight, we know God is with and he's going to give us victory. So verse 11 Verse 11 says, I just want again to see what, how they were viewed. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. <laughs> so the enemy knew that they were plagued by fear. Now ultimately, they'll actually say to Jonathan and the armor bearer, come and fight. And they go out. Guys, 20, they go out and they fight 20 people and they kill 20 people. And when this word hits the Philistine camp and the Israelite camp, it runs through like a wildfire. And look, look at um, verse, verse 15. Here's, what, here's the effects of one man in an armor bear stepping out in courage in the midst of a fearful generation. Verse 15 says, and there was a panic in the camp. <laughs> what camp? The Philistine camp. The enemy whose tactic is to use fear is now crippled by fear because two people said, we're not going to stay here. We're going to go out and fight. <laughs> and there was a great panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. <laughs> and the earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. And so what begins to happen is Saul and his men the leading, like most influential men who are hiding in caves, look and begin to see the Philistines in confusion. And something starts touching their heart to say, wait a minute, I think we can actually win this now. And I want you to see in just verse 20 to 22 the profound impact that courage has on a generation that was bound once in fear. Verse 20 says, Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. The same ones who are hiding in the cave, they don't just like run and say we're ready. They go to the front lines of battle. 
They were propelled into the conflict because something was awakened by this one man who said yes to the Lord. It says, Behold, finishing out that verse, verse 20, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow, and there was a very great confusion. Now this is where it just gets unbelievable. Verse 21 says, Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. So what this means is that when they were plagued by fear, many of the Hebrews says, we're out. We're joining the Philistine army. Saul and Jonathan step out, and here's what's happening now. Picture this. Picture the Philistine armies lined up here, dressed in their garbs, ready for battle, and picture the Hebrew army with only 600 men dressed here. But somehow this testimony of courage has touched both of these camps. And these people who are on the Philistine side, they're Hebrews. They dress like the Philistines. They talk like the Philistines. They were trained up by the, like the Philistines. But they're actually Hebrews and they were meant to be on this side. But because of fear, they came into the enemy's camp and were in the wrong place. But as they hear a testimony of courage, they degarb themselves of what they were wearing and recognize, I actually belong on this side. These individuals who settled because fear robs you of your purpose. Courage, courage awakens people to their identity. And these people who were stuck in fear, this is what I see in such a prophetic picture of the world. Every person was created to live for God, but they're bound by fear, actually opposing the very thing that they were made for. But when they see a testimony of courage, it creates such a restlessness in their spirit, a good one that says, why am I here? I actually belong to be over here. I was made to live on this side. Nothing will awaken this nation, I think, more than us being clothed with courage and living what we were made for and awakening people to what they were made for. To the fact that they recognize, oh my goodness, I've been in the enemy's camp and I'm actually meant to be a child of God. <laughs> I've been living against the purposes of God. And then look at this last group. If the worship team can come on up. Verse 22. It says, Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth-Avon. So there's this last group that says, when the Israelites who were hiding in caves, when they heard of this testimony of courage, they too joined, it says, the front lines of battle. Now who are these people? These are individuals who did not go to the enemy's side. They remained an Israelite, but they were hiding in the caves. <laughs> and this is profound. It says, when they heard what Jonathan and the armor bearer had done, they were hiding in caves somewhere in the mountains. And yet somehow this testimony reached their ears <laughs> and provoked something inside them. Who are these people? I believe for us, prophetically, it's those who are in the church, but have always been living on the fringes. They, they, they've... They, they, they are born again, but they have never stepped fully into what they were made for. They, they, they're here, but they're not really here. They're just kind of floating around on the outside, not fully giving themselves to the purposes that God has made them for. And yet when they hear this testimony of courage, they come out of the place that they were hiding, and they don't just like say we're ready to fight. They also go to the front lines of battle. <laughs> and they say we're ready to fight as well. In fact, it actually says... When they hid in themselves, it says they were, that they were fleeing. It says they too followed hard after them in battle, 
which means they didn't just return to a kind of half-heartedness. They returned to a fiery, burning heart for the Lord now. <laughs> this is what courage does. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, guys. And I'm going to have the, in just a moment, when I finish, I'm going to pray first. I'm just going to have the prayer team come up in just a moment. And for those of you who'd like to respond in prayer, you could stay where you are, however you want to respond. But I, I believe that God is, is releasing fresh courage. And again, there's many ways that the Lord does that. A fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit <laughs> leads to courage. But there's something about the fear of God that breaks all lesser and rival fears in your life, anxiety and worry. And I believe the Lord wants to dispense, bestow courage into your heart this morning. That there would be a Jonathan-like people that when all around us, you may see those that are, that are, are hiding back, that your, your courage is going to call them and invite them into what they were made for. And they're going to recognize I was made for something more. Whether or not they never knew the Lord or they've known the Lord, but they just haven't fully stepped into it. Your small step of faith each and every day is awakening something in those around you. So let, let me just pray for us, and then we're going to open this up and lay hands, and I trust the Lord will do his work from here. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you that you are the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit that came upon Gideon when he claimed to be the weakest and the most unqualified when you clothed him with the Spirit, he led an army of 300 into victory. Same Spirit that when Saul was afraid to lead his king, when it rushed upon Saul, he went out to battle. It's the same Spirit that when it came upon Peter, Peter, who couldn't even be faithful before a servant girl on the night that Jesus was betrayed, could stand up in the face of opposition. Peter became so bold that when he was led to the cross, he said, hang me upside down. I'm not worthy to die like my Savior. This was a changed man. So you just put your hands out like you're receiving something right now. Lord, you promised this morning that you would bestow and dispense courage. Lord, that as men's hearts are fainting with fear, that we would be a secure and stable people, a strong people, bold, but compassionate. strong but low and I pray right now I pray against and over every other rival fear in our hearts every other fear and anxiety and worry that is acting like a blinding fog right now 
Holy Spirit, would you help us to lift our eyes, the eyes of faith, to behold the Lamb and all that he is and all that he does. And I pray for a baptism of courage this morning. Holy Spirit, would you make it so clear where the enemy is trying to instill fear into our heart? Give us spiritual senses to know what is of you and what is not. I pray, Lord, every inferior fear is broken in this house right now. We pray for the fear of the Lord to rise in our lives, that we would walk in it, that we would walk in it, that we would walk in it. Lord, I pray by the Holy Spirit you would call out the Jonathans this morning. Call out the Jonathans. Lord, I pray that as we take small steps of faith, we will call out, we will invite the backsliding. We will invite the backsliding, Lord, back to the places that you've called them, Lord. We will invite the cold and complacent. We will invite the lost to see that they've been in the wrong camp. Lord, I just pray over families that when we step out in faith this way, God, you will do something to stir, to stir hearts around. We receive it now. Thank you for grace this morning. Thank you for grace this morning to look above all that wants to distract. And Lord, in the midst of so much shaking, we rejoice knowing that it's giving birth to the new heaven and the new earth. So we are secure knowing that you are in the midst of all things. Yeah. I just pray for mouths that have been muzzled, for the muzzle to come off in Jesus' name, for the fear of man to be broken. Pray for those who've been immobilized to take action in Jesus' name. Let courage move you this morning in Jesus' name.